you would please uh, take your scripture and turn with me to the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. And thinking about uh, how uh, we should uh, begin uh, our ministry uh, together, at least my ministry, among you and together with you. Uh, I was thinking about um, what would be a good passage of Scripture to spend some time on and kept coming back to uh, this passage in Colossians, which of course speaks to us about the, the Lord Jesus, but also speaks to us about the, uh, the church. And so I'd like to read for us, I'll begin reading at verse uh, 9, and I'm going to read through verse 20, and we're going to focus specifically on verse 18. Um, But we're picking it up at verse 9, but you may know at the beginning, as Paul does of many of his letters, the first few verses are all uh, an expression of thankfulness to the Lord uh, for the church, how thankful he is for the gospel as it has spread among them and here as it has been increasing. Uh, He's so thankful for the church. And and then he says these words in Colossians 1 verse 9. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. It's right there on the page in front of us. We've just read it. Uh, together. But Lord, we also know that in order for this word to uh, penetrate our hearts and enter into our minds and into our affections, Lord, that we are completely dependent on the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that uh, you would help the one who preaches and all of us who hear, uh, that you would graciously attend the preaching of your word this day and this morning. Uh, Lord, that the truths that you have for us in this passage would come to life for us and that by your Holy Spirit you would not leave them simply upon the pages of our Bibles, but that you would etch them indeed upon the very hearts uh, within us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, the legend of Sleepy Hollow tells the story of Ichabod Crane. And you may have heard of the legend of Sleepy Hollow. It was written by a famous American novelist, Washington Irving, in 1820, well, over 200 years ago. And the legend of Sleepy Hollow uh, tells this story of Ichabod Crane, who is a kind of a hapless figure uh, who tries to win the heart and hand of a lady named Katrina Van Tassel. And Ichabod Crane comes to Sleepy Hollow, New York, from his home state of Connecticut to be the schoolmaster of the village. And Sleepy Hollow is a small, very quiet town said to be under some kind of enchantment. Its residents all seem to move a little slower, daydream a little more, and be more prone to believe in the supernatural. Sleepy Hollow is a town filled with strange stories. And their most famous strange story is of the ghost of the headless horseman, said to be a soldier who lost his head to a cannonball during the Revolutionary War. And the horseman is told to be seen most often riding by the church in Sleepy Hollow, where local historians say he is buried. He is believed to be always in search of his head. Ichabod is fascinated by this story, being especially interested in strange tales. And uh, the story goes on, of course, there's a love interest and, uh, and, and you can read more from Washington Irving. But that's always captured my attention. This uh, headless horseman who uh, is said to uh, ride around Sleepy Hollow, always in search of his head. I think, um, I think this is a great way to describe the actual condition of man, of you and me, uh, as created in the image of God, image bearers of God, Though now fallen into sin, rebels against the Creator, always in search of our head. That is, um, always in search of our identity. That is, uh, who am I? You know, always in search of wholeness. Why am I here? Always in search of, you know, belonging to something greater. You know. What's my purpose? Always in search of our head, a head. First thing we want to consider from this passage in Colossians, we're going to focus on verse 18 specifically, but that wonderfully here we have a picture, a picture that is worth a thousand words, a picture worth a thousand words in verse 18. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church. Here is a picture that is worth a thousand words. He is the head of the body, the church. Now, the imagery, of course, you know, of the church as the body of Christ is found uh, many places in, in Scripture famously, uh, but most well known perhaps in uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, where we hear these words, Romans 12, 4. Uh, For as in one body we have many members, and, <clears throat> and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members uh, of one another. That's a famous passage from Romans 12. Uh, also in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, you know that wonderful passage on the body of Christ. For just as the body is one and has many members, 
And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So those are some famous passages that speak of the church as the body of Christ. But here in the letter of Paul to the church in Colossae, uh, he speaks of Christ as the head of the body. And it's a specific use uh, of that imagery. Jesus is the head of the body. Why? That's a good question to ask. Why does he use that kind of language? Well, we find out in the rest of this letter that there's reasons that the Apostle Paul needs to remind the church that Jesus is the head. Because this, of course, was the point at issue. That Christ was for them, it turns out, we read in this letter, uh, a part of their life. Uh, but he was not being given the, you know, the worship, the adoration, uh, and the, the pride of place and position that he deserved. And so later in Colossians 2, for instance, um, you'll read in Colossians 2.20, Paul will say to the church, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings? If, if this is really true, that Christ is the head, why are you living like this? according to the principles of the world. Chapter 3, he'll say, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, why would he say that? Well, because the temptation for God's people is to put their mind on things on the earth. And so, uh, this emphasis on Christ as, as the head... Uh, is uh, meant specifically for this church to call them back to giving Jesus pride of place. To be the head of the body means, of course, to be the, uh, the beginning or the, the, the source of life. Uh, all starts with the head. Uh, all starts with Jesus as the creator, uh, the source of life. We read there in verses 15, of course, and 16, these wonderful Words of Jesus in verse 16, for by him, that's Jesus, by Jesus, all things were created. He was there in the beginning in heaven and on earth. Uh, we, were, we read there also all things were created through him uh, and for him. And so all things created through Jesus, all things created for Jesus. So he's the uh, he's the the head in the sense that we have our source of life from him, but he's also our head uh, in that he is he is our ruler and he is our authority. Just like uh, it's from your from your head, from the brain within your head uh, that that dictates everything you do. He is our head. He is our authority. The apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians five speaks about uh, Jesus this way. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so this idea of the head is, uh, is intimately involved with this idea of, of authority. This is Jesus when it comes to our thinking about the church. Jesus is the head of the church, says Paul. That is, he is the one who unites the body and he nourishes the body. Uh, Colossians 2.19 will say this of Jesus. Uh, he has 
the Apostle Paul is encouraging folks there to be aware of those who are drawing them away from Christ. Uh, what does that lead to? Well, it leads to uh, this, says Paul, verse 19 of Colossians 2, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, remember the head is Jesus, we need to hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. See, the head uh, unites and nourishes the whole body and when you're wandering away from the faith, what's happening is the Bible says you're, you're losing hold of the head. You're not remaining fast to the head from whom life flows. And so he warns them of that, but he's the one who nourishes the body. It's a wonderful picture. Paul will use it elsewhere in Scripture. Ephesians 4, he'll say something like this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, again, joined and held together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the head, uh, source of life, the head, our authority, the head unites and and nourishes uh, the body, which is the church. And as we're fastened to the head, uh, we grow up into into Christ. And so, uh, in, in our culture, we'll speak, for instance, of the head of state. Or we'll speak about the commander-in-chief. That is, the highest authority in the land. Or in the church. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, a uh, well-known theological scholar of years past, said this, So far as the organic, that is, living relationship is concerned. Christ and His people in the Scripture are viewed together as a living entity. Christ is the head, supplying life and exercising control and direction. His people are His body. Individually, His limbs and organs under His control, obeying His direction, performing His work, And the life which animates the whole is His risen life which He shares with His people. Right? The head nourishing that risen, resurrected life of the Savior to His people. Viewed as an organic unity. Now that's why when... um, Remember when Jesus says to Saul on the road to Damascus, uh, and Saul's been, you know, arresting Christians, throwing them in prison, that kind of thing. Remember what Jesus says to Saul on the road to Damascus? Why do you persecute me? And you might say, well, wait a minute, Paul's never met Jesus. But the reason Jesus says that to Paul is because Paul has been persecuting the church and he's been persecuting the body. And so to Jesus, persecuting the church, persecuting the body, persecuting Christians is persecuting Jesus because he's the head and we are uh, his body. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus is the head of the church, uh, her authority, the one who holds his people together, directs them, then surely that means that our life here at faith, our growth and guidance and energy depends uh, exclusively on him and draws its strength and power Only from His Word 
and his spirit. Isn't this why, while on the one hand, Paul will say, I can do, remember Paul says this, I can do, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's what he says on one hand. And then in another passage, Jesus will say, apart from me, you can do Zippo. So you have both those passages in Scripture. In Christ, fastened to the head, I can do all things through Him. And apart from Him, do nothing. It's true of me as a Christian. true of me as a pastor. true of you as a church. true of you as a mother and a father and a son and a parent in the Lord. All things in Christ. And you can do nothing apart from Him. Why? Because He is the head of the body. The church. And so the head is a great picture of what Jesus Christ is to the church and the individual Christian. And that's why the Bible speaks of believers in Christ and Christ in us. Because there is this Organic unity. Now make no mistake, he is not a figurehead. That is, he's not a, uh, to be seen, given a title, but no real authority. That's kind of like the, you know, the Queen or King of England. It's called a figurehead. Oh yes, he's the king, but we know they don't do anything. And they certainly don't direct my life. Make no mistake, he's not a figurehead. And make no mistake, he's not a talking head. That is one who, oh yes, he he speaks, but we basically ignore what he says. And he just goes on and on and on. It's all talk, but no substance. Make no mistake. He's no figurehead. He's no talking head. He's the living head. Now, you might maybe this will be helpful. When you think about your own head, you think about your brain, think about about what actually happens in your brain. Um, These are some things I noted this past week. Did you know that the slowest speed information passes around your brain is approximately 260 miles per hour? That's how fast things go through your brain. Did you know that there is 2.5 million gigabytes of storage space in your brain? Uh, The latest uh, iPhone Max, about 1,000. Did you know that if you laid out all the blood vessels in your brain, end to end, they would stretch halfway to the moon, or uh, 22 times back and forth across the United States. We went three times across the United States this past year. Oh, it almost... Oh, it's hard. But think 22 times. Um, If you laid out all your blood vessels that are in your brain. That's a lot going on. That's your brain. That's your brain in your head. He is the head, you see. He controls the church. He is the authority in the church. And what Paul is saying is this. If this is the Jesus that you believe in, He is your head, and He controls everything you do. You get your signals from Him. Blood flows in you because of Him. Strength from Him. Life from Him. And in Him, 
You are united to every other part of His body. So, that's the first thing. Are you always in search of your head? Or is your head, in fact, Jesus? But a thousand words, of course, are not enough to describe this picture. You know, a picture uh, is worth a thousand words, but a thousand words is not enough to describe this picture that we're given in Colossians 2.18. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn, that is the chief from the dead. That, the Bible says, in... few things? On Sunday? No. Uh, hold on. <clears throat> He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in... Well, religious things. You know, spiritual things. No, uh, the Bible says that in uh, everything he might be preeminent. Oh, that's a good word. That's in the ESV. Other translations have uh, other, other, other translations. So the Apostle Paul is saying, okay, all these wonderful things that, that we want to say about Jesus, and Paul says here in Colossians about Jesus, he's the image of God, uh, all things were created through him, all things were created for him, he's at the beginning, he's at the end. Um, all these things that are being said about Jesus, they all have a goal in your life. And a purpose for my life. That is, that in everything in my life, this Jesus, who is the head, would be preeminent. That means... You've got em, you know, eminence, someone of eminence, preeminence. That means before all things, higher than all things. Um, what does it mean? Well, a dictionary will say something like this. The word preeminence uh, means the state of being preeminent. Okay, all right, well, that's a start. That's a start. Uh, here's something better. Uh, preeminent, having a paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Outstanding, supreme, superior. And that's why some translations might say uh, that he would have first place. Above all, that is. Without peer, without equal. Now, when you think about those kind of words, uh, your mind might turn back to the, uh, to the Old Testament and uh, to the description we're given uh, of of Saul in the Old Testament. So way back in 1 Samuel 9, <clears throat> we read this about when Saul is chosen to be king. You remember these words? <clears throat> there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son uh, whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. Uh, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome then he, this is what the Bible says, from his shoulders upward, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any other people. That's how the Bible describes Saul. So if you looked out in the crowd of Israelites, you got men, women, you got lots of folks. Uh, but as you're looking out, the Bible says, uh, one head would pop up above them all. He, he would just, wherever Saul would go, he would stand out in a crowd. His head 
would be seeing. You know, no matter how many people were there, there's Saul. I see you. Later he tries to hide, of course. That doesn't, or, uh, yeah, it doesn't work. This, the Bible says, is how we must think of, of Jesus. Supreme. Head above the rest. Preeminent. First place. In all things. Now, friends, the Bible's saying here that, in other words, there's something about Jesus being the head of the church, the beginning, firstborn from the dead. That means the chief from the dead. The one who guarantees that we too will rise from the dead. There's something about Jesus which leads you to this conclusion that there's no one greater. There's no one more worthy. There's no one in your mind, uh, heart, or will who's more central, who's more vital, who's more influential, who's more dominant, who's more powerful, or compelling, or all-consuming than Jesus. In verse 15, we see that that word firstborn is used of Jesus as the inheritor uh, of all things. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Remember in the Old Testament, firstborn uh, was the, the son who would inherit all things from his father. That's why Jesus is called the firstborn. He inherits all things. And like the firstborn son. Here he's also the firstborn uh, as the head of the new creation. He's the, uh, the firstborn from uh, the dead. That is, he's the forerunner. He's the pathbreaker. He's the one who has conquered sin and death and hell. And because he, he has been raised from the dead, uh, he, he, he guarantees the, the resurrection of all those who are in him and who belong to him by faith. And by his triumphant resurrection, Jesus lays the foundation for the new life and hope and joy, assurance, ultimate resurrection of all his people. And so the Bible is saying your very life as a believer, uh, eternal life uh, in never ending communion with Father, Son and Holy Spirit is rooted in the life and death and resurrection and ascension and reign of this Jesus. And therefore, says Paul, the believer and really the unbeliever too, owes uh, all to him. So he's the source of life at the creation in the beginning, right? All things created through him. And he's the source of life in the new creation. He's the firstborn from the dead, so no new life without him. And so all belongs to him. All is due to him. Listen to Paul here in Colossians 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have, notice how Paul puts this to, uh, to the church, to, to believers today. For you have died, past, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is, notice how the Bible puts this, friends. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, there's no way that this is true of you unless Jesus is preeminent in your life. Because Christ is not your life unless you've first seen Him, right? As the preeminent, all-glorious, all-worthy 
Savior and Lord. All of this, says Paul, all of this is that the Lord Jesus might be uh, your all uh, in all. Uh, Always through the New Testament letters, as we go through the scriptures together and ministry together, we're going to find that the Apostle Paul is trying to uh, remind us uh, of the amazing work of the Lord Jesus. It's not something that is to be taken for granted. It's a supernatural uh, work. It's an amazing work. Uh, the Apostle Peter will remind us, for instance, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again uh, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible tells us that uh, the resurrection of Jesus causes your new birth. Not simply a new interest in the new birth, right? A new birth. What Jesus has done. Uh, there's a great difference in that, right? Being, being uh, uh, born again to a, a new life and being born again simply to an interest in a new life. You know, there's a big difference in, let's say, uh, uh, being uh, caused to have a great interest in pottery. Right? You might be caused to have a great interest in pottery. Uh, but what, what, if, what if you were caused to become a pot? Right? Those are two different things. People can uh, get, gain an interest in Christianity, but that's not to be a Christian. Uh, what the Bible saying is that the resurrection of Jesus actually gives us a new life. Not an interest simply in new life. This is all that Jesus has done. So that he might be preeminent, first place, supreme in everything. That is simply, friends, Jesus filling all of you in all of your life. All of you in all of your life. The living Jesus, the powerful Jesus, the gracious Jesus, the holy Jesus, all of Jesus filling all of your life, mind, heart, and will. That is in everything. In everything, He is preeminent. He is supreme. He is first place. He is the head, dictating, directing, controlling, energizing all our life for Him. Imagine, for instance, uh, your mother or mother-in-law uh, coming over for a visit. I suspect at some time, you know, we moved to a new home in Mullica Hill. I imagine at some point uh, our mother-in-law, uh, my wife's mother, will come and visit. Imagine your mother-in-law coming for a visit, except this time she doesn't leave. Okay? She's there at breakfast. She's there at lunch. She's there at dinner. Uh, she's there when you go out with your friends. She's there when you go to work. Uh, she watches over you while you sleep. Always at your side. Filling your life. She's always there. Always in front of you. Always behind you. Always beside you. Uh, always on your mind. All your mom. In all your life. Jesus, Jesus, you see, in everything, preeminent, are all in all. Christians, uh, friends, do not treat their relationship to Jesus, who is the head of the body, the church. We do not treat our relationship to Jesus like your relationship to the Amazon delivery person. Uh, you know how that goes, right? You're thankful for the Amazon delivery person. Yeah, you're excited to see them uh, because you're excited to see what they're going to deliver next for Christmas. But you would never consider inviting them into your home and saying, come on in here and, and have a meal. Come dine with us, Amazon delivery person. Make yourself at home. 
And the problem is that sometimes we treat uh, the Lord Jesus instead of as the head, instead of as the king, instead of as the one who is supremely worthy of all our praise, all our glory, all our honor. Instead, we treat him as a, uh, a college roommate. Instead. This is the problem that Paul's addressing in the church in, in Colossae. He's, he's the head of the body of the church. That, that in everything, in everything, in your thoughts and heart and mind, because of what he's done for us in his death and resurrection, he would be first in your thoughts. He would be directing your actions. He would be, he would be first in your affections and in your loves. And so, friends, today, as we begin our, our ministry uh, together uh, in this church, the Apostle Paul tells us, Whatever we do, uh, whatever is preached, uh, whatever ministry is uh, held forth from this, from this church, uh, whatever ministries we engage in and outreach and uh, educational ministry, whatever it might be, this, says the Apostle Paul, must be, the, must be on our hearts. That the head of the church, from whom we have our life, who, who nourishes us, who builds us together, in whom we can do all things, apart from whom we can do nothing, that this Jesus, you see, would be... Would be Preeminent in all that we do, in the preaching, uh, in the serving, in the worshiping, uh, in the outreach to the community. And if this is true, we have to ask this question as we end today. If Jesus is to be preeminent in everything, you need to ask yourself, what is, uh, what is, what is preeminent in my life? What actually has first place in your life? The Bible says, uh, if you know Jesus, if He is your Savior and your Lord, this is the truth that rings in your heart. Jesus, head above the rest, directing all things in my life. Because I've seen Him and something of Him in His love and in His grace and in His glory. And He has that supreme place. What has first place in your life? What stands out above all the rest? You could ask yourself questions like this. Whose word, whose word do you instantly obey? Someone on the news? You know, is there someone in the newspaper that you follow religiously and say, oh, they say that uh, someone in this church, you just do what they say? Whose word do you instantly obey because they're your head? Oh, the Bible says, let it be Jesus. Whose smile do you, uh, whose smile do you desire above all the rest? That is, whom do you really want to please the most? Do you think your life is all about pleasing other people? Do you think your life is all about pleasing your husband? Or pleasing your wife? Pleasing your children? Or, uh, or do, are you always searching Desiring the smile of God. Oh, because you, you love His pleasure. Above all else, the smile of Jesus. Who do you seek to please above everyone else? Whose presence, whose presence could you not live without? Oh, who are you most thankful for, and maybe most telling of all, whom do you long to see the most? If you could just see one person, if you could just be with one person, 
Who would you long to be with the most? Well, the Bible gives us the answer that lies at the heart of believers. goes like this from the psalmist. In Psalm 63.1, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. And, of course, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. You see? To be with Christ. This is what all these truths in Colossians of who Jesus is lead. He's the image of God, creator, sustainer, goal, head, life giver, death defeater, cross bearer, grave riser. It all leads to this. In my life, my Lord. Um, and Isaac Watts, of course, got it right. Uh, demands my soul, my life, and my all. That in everything, he would be preeminent. Are you always searching for your head? You know, who's given you life? Who's the authority in your life? Who is supreme and preeminent in your life? Are you always searching for that head? Or have you found your head and His name is Jesus and He alone is worthy of your praise and He demands our soul, our life, our all. And it's the goal, friends, of my ministry and it should be the goal of our ministry together to then see Him more clearly. That we would love Him more. So that indeed, in everything, He would be preeminent. May it be so. For God's glory. And for our eternal good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, O Lord, we uh, words cannot uh, do uh, justice to the truth of at least short few words here in the book of Colossians, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the image of God, through whom and for whom all things were created, including, including every single one of us in this building today, that He Himself is the head of the body, the church. He's our source of life. He's the one who unites us and binds us and nourishes us in the life we have only in Him. He is the one who, who rules and directs us for His glory and for our good. Oh Lord, help us to see week by week, month by month, year by year, more and more of this Jesus that in our own lives, single, married, child, parent, grandparent, whatever our calling, whatever our tasks You've given to us, whatever our ministry in the church, Lord, that in everything, Jesus Christ would have first place, that He would stand out about every crowd. It's Him that we would see in His glory, in His power, in His grace, in His love, and in His mercy, that others too might come to this place and to know that here is a people who do not belong to themselves, but who know that they belong to their faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that they are here to live for Him who has died for them. 
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.